Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. And welcome to Frankie Sense and More. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and do we have a fantastic show for you today. Oh my, I'm just so excited about our, our lineup. We have some exciting guests. And first, let me tell you how pleased I am to have a fabulous new co-host this week joining me. I can't wait to introduce you to him. His name is Jeff Sr. And while most of us pay tribute to our veterans and memorials, big and small around the world yesterday, Jeff just happened to be riding and playing on the Coalition to Salute America's Heroes Float in New York City. How exciting is that? And he was part of the Veterans Day Parade. So Jeff is going to come up in just a second. Um, it's so fitting that today we also have to honor uh, a, a member, you know, of the British peerage, so to speak. Jonathan Sands is with us, and he'll be joining us in a few minutes. Jonathan wrote a book about his illustrious ancestor, and here's a clue. I'm not going to tell you who he is just yet. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills, and we shall never surrender. Now, if you know who said this, give us a call, 877-864-4869, 877-864-4869, because you might just get a surprise. Also joining us later is Steve Shortley. He'll be joining us. Uh, Stephen's first book, Enemy in the Heartland, is so chillingly real, I promise you it will put terror in your heart. And probably... The most influential person of my life is also here today. My father's in the house, and we'll be chatting it up with him and all of my guests. But first, let me introduce you to Jeff. I want to say Jeff is my new bestie. I just adore him, and I just met him. Jeff is a pilot with Southwest Airlines. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he's so much more. Jeff is also an airline movie film pilot, husband, father, professional singer-songwriter, band leader for his band CTS, which he formed about 12 years ago, to inspire people of all ages to live their dream and honor the real American heroes, military, police, firefighters, and first responders. Jeff really is a true humanitarian. And a bit later, we're going to hear a song that he wrote for Snowball Express. It's extremely poignant, and it's a charity that is just so cool. Jeff's Hollywood aerial film credits also include some of the biggest movie hits of our time, True Lies, Executive Decision, Hot Shots, Space Cowboys, and Silence of the Lambs. Now that you're suitably impressed, let me tell you that Jeff has also was given the most prestigious award that Southwestern bestows upon its employees, the President's Award, and he received a signed Taylor guitar painted with the colors of Southwest Airlines. Now, can you say amazing? <laughs> Jeff! <laughs> I mean that that's pretty incredible. What do you think? Well, uh I I'm probably blushing right now, but thank you and I'm honored and humbled and uh I just, you know, my mission is truly to go go touch lives in a positive way in, in this world. So thank you, you know, Frankie for all of that. <laughs> oh, I just I just yeah. You know what? You're amazing, and I thank you. Jeff, did you ever see the documentary? Um, my, my son came over the other day and said, Mom, you have to watch this documentary on Netflix. It's called Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. Did you ever see that one? No, I did not. 
it's about an Australian guy named Joe Cross. And Joe, um, you know, he, he, he's hounding me. He's everywhere. Every time I turn on YouTube, every time I, I do something, his face is in front of my face. And so I believe in the universe, you know, t- giving us messages. And, and mm-hmm. the message is, Frankie, you've got to do what Joe did. Now, what Joe did was he drank juice for 60 days. He came to America. He drove around. He met a ton of people. He showed them how to juice. He was healing himself from an immune condition that had his skin erupt with all these red welts like hives all over his body and Mm. he was on heavy doses excuse me of prednisone well long story short he lost 70 some odd pounds on the 60 days on the diet he went off all of his pills he lost you know that weight but what he really did was he he programmed himself he rebooted his life which is the name of his program reboot your life well joe i need to do a fast and last night i had a look at our juicer and guess what joe's face is on it so the universe is really slamming me he's going okay you got to juice frankie and you know it's a breville juicer but everybody wants to juice and everybody's stealing my juicer so you know joe come on my show get us inspired breville send us a juicer because you know we all need one and we got to get this thing started well talking about weight you know weighty issues. Yesterday was Veterans Day and Remembrance Day. And in Canada, you know, everywhere you go, and I'm sure it might be the same in the U.S., there are veterans selling poppies. And it's a beautiful sight to see and some absolutely beautiful celebrations were held around the country, which I'm extremely grateful for uh, because I live in one of the greatest countries I think in the world is free country. And we are really a poster child for living in harmony because we're a multicultural society. Pierre Trudeau, our former prime minister, he uh, implemented multiculturalism as Canada's, you know, quote unquote thing. And just a few short weeks ago, we elected his son, Justin Trudeau, which is pretty exciting, as our latest PM. So congratulations go out to justice. But the reason I'm telling you is is because um, if this is the first time you're listening to our show, every show I align with the United Nations Global Goals. And I think we all need to talk about those goals because they're amazing. And today's show is about peace and justice. And so global goal number 16. And if you're not, not familiar with it, go check it out, www.globalgoals.org. Now, why would we be concerned with peace and justice? Well, you know, promoting and enforcing non-discriminatory laws and policies for sustainable development could be one reason. And it's important that we all ensure these freedoms. And my next guest... Um, you know, who's going to be coming on in, in just a few short while. His, his ancestor and he himself are all worried about freedoms and justice for all people. Now, here's a quote. Every time we turn our heads the other way, when we see the law flouted, when we tolerate what we know to be wrong, when we close our eyes and ears to the corrupt because we are too busy or too frightened, when we fail to speak up and speak out, we strike a blow against freedom and decency and justice. That was from Robert Kennedy. And, you know, I think it's really important that we fight for people's freedoms. What do you think, Jeff? I think it's very important. And I think uh, we live in a world that uh, it's real easy when you do live in freedom, like America and Canada, amazing countries, that it's easy to forget where our freedoms came from and the sacrifice it took to get here. I tell people all the time at our shows and the kids, especially that we, this, this didn't just happen by accident. This, you know, there's a reason we have such a great nation. And, and it's, and I think when we're, 
we're kind of spoiled. We get spoiled. We're, we thrive financially. We and it's easy to get caught up in a bubble and forget the sacrifice it took to get here. Exactly. Well, I think we still got time. How, here's another quote by by this illustrious ancestor of our next guest, and I think this really kind of says it all. How is that word democracy to be interpreted? My idea of it is that the plain, humble, common man, just the ordinary man who keeps a wife and a family, who goes off to fight for his country when it is in trouble, goes to the poll at the appropriate time and puts his cross on that ballot paper, showing the candidate he wishes to be elected to parliament, that he is the foundation of democracy. And it's also essential to this foundation that this man or woman should do this without fear and without any form of intimidation or victimization. He marks his ballot in strict secrecy and then elected representatives and together decide what government or even in times of stress, what form of government they wish to have in their country. If that is democracy, I salute it, I espouse it, and I would work for it. Okay, that was December 1944. Who is it? Uh, Come on. <laughs> if you know, give us a call. 877-864-4869. Now, I hear a bit of shuffling of papers in the background, and I, I'm, I'm not sure, but let's, uh, if we can keep that to a minimum, that'd be great, because it would just really uh, make the sound. People, It's hard for people to listen and to hear noise. We want the best possible sound that we can get. So I am going to introduce you to our guests now. Jonathan Sands is the great-grandson of Britain's wartime Prime Minister, Sir Winston Churchill, who recently authored the book God and Churchill, which he co-wrote with the White House staffer, Wallace Henley. And the book traces the personal, political, and spiritual path of one of history's greatest leaders and offers hope for our own violent and troubled times. And Jonathan's intense search to discover who his great-grandfather was actually changed his own life and his own destiny forever, I would think. He was born in Shackleford, a small British village in the county of Surrey. Jonathan heard many tales of his great-grandfathers at family gatherings, and his childhood was shaped by these stories and conversations that he heard. And I'm sure the stories intrigued him, as they do us, and, but he had a great desire to get to know who this man was in a way that no one else had, and so he began his search. Today, Jonathan lives in Houston, Texas with his wife, Sarah, and their son, Jesse, and together they host what is called Churchill's Britain Tours, and they take visitors behind the scenes to many locations that were significant in his great-grandfather's life. So please welcome Jonathan Sands. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks, Frankie. It's a real pleasure to be on, on your show today, and I, I'm really, really interested by, by what you've been saying and by the wonderful quotes. And, I, you know, I was tempted to actually phone in myself and say, uh, say who it was. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be cheating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it would. <laughs> you're, you're, a, you're a public speaker, and, and, you know, you've spoken before NASA, you've gone to universities and churches. You really want to bring Churchill alive for this current and future generation, um, because you really believe that, that Sir Winston still impacts the world today. And I'm going to ask you what you mean by this, but we're going to go to break fairly shortly. So let, let's, I'll ask you, and then if I have to break you off, we'll come back and talk about it. So what, what sure. do you mean by that? The legacy of Winston Churchill is absolutely vital to pass on to the next generation. You know, the, the morals, the values, as you'll see in God and Churchill as we talk about it, Churchill had a very strong um, moral guidance and a very strong ethical guidance that, that kept him on the path. And if we lose those morals and lose those ethical values, then 
there's nothing left for us to really fight for. There's nothing left for us to really exist for. So Churchill's determination and his his morals, his his values, his ethics, really are things that that need to be uh, basically duplicated in this in this world. We would be facing a lot less problems today if we if we actually started to really pay attention to things that I Churchill agree. had said. I agree Absolutely. with that 110%. We are now about to go to break, but just remember where we were. Stay tuned, stay close, because you are not going to want to miss this. No, we're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. My family spent three summers at an army post in Fairbanks, Alaska. Living 120 miles south of the Arctic Circle, the sun never sets, so it's light all night long, all summer long. Soon we found ourselves taking our kids to the park to play at 3 in the morning. Boy, were we screwed up. Did you know after a three-week summer vacation, your IQ can drop as much as 20%? I guess when we're not working, our brains can get pretty lazy. Abbey lubbers, scabberlatchers, and slouter pooches are all names for lazy people. But hey, I guess that's why they call it the lazy, crazy, hazy days of summer. So to all you abbey lovers, scabberlatchers, and slouter pooches out there, summer's about over. So enjoy it while you can. It's March I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas. Thank you for sticking around. We're back with Jonathan Sands and Jeff Sr. And I'm Frankie Picasso, your host. Jonathan, we were talking just before we went to break about why it's so important to um, for, for, for the, this generation and the next generations coming up to hear about the legacy of Churchill and what he was all about. And your book is is really traces the personal, political and spiritual path <clears throat> excuse me, of, of Mr. Churchill. Sir Churchill, I should say. And, and it offers hope. You say it offers hope for our own violent and troubled times. And how, how is that? Okay, well, when um, in reviewing the evidence that uh, Wallace Henley, my co-author, and I um, had come across, in reviewing that research, we realised that there were three central points that, um, that needed to be established. Firstly, that Churchill was neither an agnostic nor an atheist, which is, the historians have, have written him off as over the years since his death. Um, there's, he very definitely was a man of faith, and that faith was certainly in God. The second thing was to then take Churchill's words 
words himself, his own belief that his life was indeed directed and protected by divine intervention and to to either prove or disprove whether or not that God that Churchill believed in really did interfere as he maintained throughout his life. Now, having established both of those factors, it then became obvious that the book had to be a book of hope, because if God really did intervene in great-grandpapa's life, as we show in the evidence in God and Churchill, if he really did intervene in Churchill's life and really did intervene during moments in the Second World War, then it is entirely possible that God is intervening not only in our own individual lives, but in the world today as well. And so no matter what the crisis is that we are facing, God will raise someone up like Winston Churchill to, to you know, be the strong person to, to lead us through the particular crises that we're facing. So you're saying there's always going to be a, D- a David for that Goliath? Yes, I, I firmly believe that there always will be a, a, some form of David for that Goliath, yes. You know, I mean, people ask me, where is where is Winston Churchill? We need him now. Where is the next Winston Churchill? But, you know, great grandpa's dead. You know, mm-hmm. we don't need Winston Churchill. We, we need we need to follow. We need to learn from everything that he taught us, everything that he told us. We need to to inwardly digest that, to take his courage, to take his faith, to take his integrity and to to change the world individually. We need to stop looking to others to help us, and we Mm -hmm. need to start actually working together and helping each other and helping ourselves. You know, nobody nobody was there during the Second World War to, you know, pick up the pieces afterwards. We had to to get on with life, and, you know, your father, I'm sure, will, will attest to that, that, you know, you have to get on with life and, 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 and get moving. Otherwise, nothing's really going to happen. And in this world today, we have started, we depend too much mm-hmm. on governments mm-hmm. and, 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 and other people. And the result of that is that governments then tell us what to do. And we look to them to take away the freedoms that were fought for during the Second World War, because we, want, we don't know where to go. We don't know whether to turn left or turn right. And unless someone says, well, you know, turn left, what are you going to do? So... Churchill was very much an independent. He was very much a man who stood there and said, don't rely on others. Rely on yourself to actually get on there and, and do that, but work together as a coalition for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Well, and look what the World War II generation came back and did. They created and invented some of the finest inventions we have on the planet. You know, they built businesses. They created things. It was just, they're amazing. They didn't expect the handout. You know, no, they just did no, what they I mean, had to do and came home. There were certain there were certain things that needed to be done. Okay, I mean, for instance, you know, in 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 Britain, we introduced socialized medicine because at the time, you know, the war had ended. There was absolutely no money in Britain. The the men the the men were coming home, and indeed the women uh, as well who had gone out to fight. They were coming home. Okay, and and some of them needed serious medical attention, and they certainly couldn't afford, you know, to pay private doctors and things like that. So socialized medicine was brought into England as a basic stopgap to to you know try and resolve the. But apart from that, you know, the men and women who had fought tirelessly those five years just got off their backsides and actually worked. They put our country back together. You know, basically we put Europe back together on the strength of what our, our wonderful, wonderful heroes from, from the um, First World War and the Second World War had, had done. So, I mean, you know, we owe so much to our veterans. I mean, I was telling a group yesterday, we owe an incredible amount to our, our veterans. 
you know, teachers, without a teacher, you don't have a veteran. And without a veteran, you don't have the freedom to have a teacher. So, you know, it's, it, those are the two groups of people that, that we really owe so much to. You know, Jonathan, when, as I read your book and I learned more about your, grand, your great-grandfather and you know, he, he went through periods of popularity and unpopularity. He wasn't the most, he wasn't the person who was, you know, going to be prime minister of England. Uh, nobody wanted that job, really, because they were walking into a role that was already, uh, you know, Hitler's already on the move. And they're like, OK, now you fix it. Yeah. Ow, um, right. It's like, yeah, but he did it. He had courage and guts. And he said, OK, I'm going to do it. You walk through hell, you keep going. But Chamberlain, Chamberlain really had two choices. He wanted Lord Halifax. And Halifax, he was an incredibly amb ambitious man and most certainly would have loved to have been prime minister. However, he was not prepared to go down in history as the man who handed the keys of Britain to Adolf Hitler. Churchill, on the other hand, actually believed that it, even at this late stage, you know, with, with um, Germany out, with the Nazis outnumbering us and everything on the ground forces and everything, you know, there was the possibility that we could win. And there was no point in giving up before you know we had actually lost so churchill himself yes stepped forward with courage uh, believing in faith that he certainly could do this that this certainly was possible and then you know once he had actually stated this absolutely nothing was going to make him back down you know it, it he recognized the fact that a world living in a world without freedom is there's no point in living Seriously, what is the point of being alive if you are not free? There really is absolutely no point to life at all. 110% so, agree with that. Let, let's get Bird absolutely. on. Let's, let's ask Bird about, you know, what the climate was like. And, and Dad, are you there? I'm here. Okay, so it's 19, what, 40? 1939, 1940. Yes, it, it, was, a, it was an awful time. And to Mr. Churchill... My hat goes off. He was the determined individual that brought England together and that brought the free countries together. And did you that feel uh, did you feel that when he got in that okay now we're going to win? Like, was there an attitude like, oh my God, we're gonna we're not gonna you know Hitler's gonna grab us up in his big basket and, and to, you know carry us all back to to Germany and be one big happy you know Stalin fest or something? Or did did you feel that, you know, okay, now here, now, yeah, now we're on the right side. Now, we, you know, he gave us guts I and glory and we're going to go out there. I certainly felt that I was on the right side. You know, Mr. Churchill, famous slogan was, give us the tools and we'll do the job. Mm -hmm. Asking for the armaments from the U.S. to ship the armaments, the artillery and the airplanes to let them fight the war. He didn't ask America to fight the war. All he wanted was the, the ability and the goods to do so. There's and every, every man and work. woman went to, to were conscripted, right? I believe. Oh, oh yes, yeah. so pe people were conscripted or, um, um, completely. However, the amounts of young people who, uh, under, you know, under the age of 16 years old, were signing up to fight and lying about their age. Yeah. You know, and those that, that weren't able to get in, either they were too old to fight or they were, uh, you know, they were too young to fight. They were joining what was originally called the local defence volunteers, which then became the Home Guard. Um, you know, and it was... It, it, 
the most amazing things were, were happening around, I mean, certainly around Britain. You know, the, the, the women were going and, and working in the factories and things like that, and they were doing the jobs that men had been doing up to this point and everything. And they basically kept Britain running so that the boys had something to actually come home to. You know, I mean, it was amazing. And then the young children and everything like that, they... They mixed in with everything that was happening and worked so hard, built victory gardens. It was so, so inspiring. It, I, don't know, I don't know a time in history when, certainly in Britain, when such, you know, a group of people, such an entire country has got together to, to fight for the common good, to, to stand together and to say, okay, you know, let's forget our differences. It doesn't matter what we believe in, but we, you know, we're standing together. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah. it was incredible. Teamwork. You also have to understand one thing, that the British people were being bombarded on a daily basis, incendiary bombs that would go off and turn London into a fireball. And through all of that, the people stood tough and fought the Germans. And was there was, yeah, I, had, I had a I grandmother believe, that lived in I believe it was due to Mr. Churchill's determination. He was a determined man. He, he didn't back off and back down for no one. He led from the front. Great-grandpa would, whenever, um, whenever the bombs had dropped around London, he made a point of going out with great-grandmama to those bomb sites and walking around uh, with those people. I mean, the amount of times that Hitler took pot shots at Churchill and, and that was avoided and things, you know, he, he would go and he would be amongst the people. And no matter what had happened, it, they always attested that his presence raised their spirits so much. And, you know, this is why he went, to, he took immense risks to visit the troops all over the place and, and, and everything and go and stand with them. It was one of the reasons why he was desperate to be with the troops um, at D-Day and things like that and sadly wasn't able to be. But, but you know, he wanted, he never saw himself as anything more than, than you know, as anything more than equal to all of the people. And of the Americans, he was, I mean, genuinely, genuinely pleased and thrilled that America joined us in the effort. He recognized that, you know, once he had started this, you know, there was no stopping. And when the Americans joined, that was it. You know, it, it had to keep going. And, and on a personal note, I, I had a grandmother uh, that was lived in London. And as a boy, I visited London, and she used to tell me about the buzz bomb as a little girl, she was in London, and they and they would wait for it to stop, and then they would wait for the explosion. And I, I remember how profound that was to me, you know, as a kid, as a young man, hearing that. But wow, I can't imagine living through something like that. There were times that Great Grandpa, you know, showed his emotion, and he would show it publicly. He he was not a bashful person. You know, he Jonathan, I'm going to have to cut you off because we're going to be going sure. to break in just a, a moment here. But please stay tuned, stay close. We have Bert, we have Jonathan, we have Jeff, and coming up shortly, we have Stephen. <laughs> Heck no, we're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right 
here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With Baby and Toddler Instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. There is so much to say about losing weight, but there's even more to say about maintaining that weight loss. Many people tell me they have lost the same 15 pounds over and over again. The goal is to not only lose the excess weight, but it's also keeping it off. The National Weight Control Registry found four types of behavior common with their successful participants. One, eating a low-fat, high-carb diet. Two, eating breakfast almost every day. Three, frequent self-monitoring of weight. And four, participation in a high level of physical activity. By embracing these four actions in your life, you too can be successful at maintaining your weight loss. Living a healthy life full of daily exercise will help you keep the excess weight off. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond, keeping you healthy, happy, and fit. And we're back with Jonathan Sands and Jeff. Jeff, you were asking Jonathan about, um, oh, you were telling about the bombs, the, the Dizzy bombs that your grandmother uh, yeah, experienced uh, as my, a child. My grandmother was British, and uh, as I, I was probably 13 years old, my parents took me, took us to England, and we toured Europe. And, and But I remember her telling me, she actually taught me music. She taught me to read music, but she grew up in England but her stories of, of actually as a citizen hearing the buzz bombs come over and then they would stop and they would all just sit there in fear of where they were going to land because no one knew. And, and you know, the, I can't even imagine how frightening that was. And, and I just, I admire the teamwork, like, like uh, Jonathan said, that everybody stood up and worked together. The women went and worked in the factories. But mm. It was a team. It's a team, and that's what makes it work. And it was a, you know, and and same like he said, freedom. It's we cannot ever forget how how precious it is. You know, Jonathan, you 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 talked about how dangerous it was that your that your great grandfather came out and walked around, but your grand your great grandfather loved danger. He threw himself in the path. You know, he went to Gallipoli. He went to India. He wanted to. You know, if he would couldn't be in the army, he was going to go as as a correspondent. He was going to get in the middle of danger. He was certainly a person who. I mean, he did. He, yes, okay, fine. A lot of people say that he he went out looking for danger. However, Churchill had a mission. He, when he was sixteen years old, he actually predicted, and and it, it's actually more prophecy than a prediction, that Lo- one day London would be attacked, and that he would be in command of the forces of London, and that he would lead the capital and the empire to a victory. And that was the prediction he gave in 1891 at 16 years old to a friend of his, Merlin de Grasse Evans. And that's really how we start um, the book, God and Churchill. 
So, um, and so he, he had a sense, even then, of the destiny that he had in front of him. And on one occasion, when the bombs were dropping in London during the 1940s, he was walking in St. James's Park with his, um, his bodyguard, Commander Walter Thompson, and suddenly this ma- the, the, the sirens went off and, and they went off to number 10. And suddenly um, this massive explosion was heard. And Churchill ran back round the corner only to see that exactly where he had been standing moments ago, there was a massive crater and this bomb had landed there. And Thompson really hoped that this would teach great-grandpapa a lesson and stop him from taking all of these these risks. Anyway, great-grandpapa basically looked at him and said, don't worry, there is someone else besides you looking after me. And Walter Thompson, you know, misunderstood and said, do you mean Sergeant Davis? To which great, <laughs> great grandfather shook his head and said no. And he pointed to the sky and he, he said, there is somebody up there who has a mission for me to perform. And he intends to see that that mission is performed. So, you know, Churchill himself had a confidence, a faith in God that he was being protected for the very purpose of, of, of leading our, our country, or rather leading the world, through the Second World War. And, you know, if you look at Churchill's life in complete context, you see that that really was the, the only real shining moment in his life um, at that, um, throughout his career. That was the, the, the only time that it really shined um, absolutely brilliantly. And so, you, you know... Jonathan, you alluded at the beginning of the show, um, but Churchill was very concerned about the survival of what he repeatedly referred to as Christian civilization. And he didn't mean Christian faith. No. He, he meant Judeo-Christian civilization. He meant even more than that. Tell yes. us what, what he meant by that. He was, he was referring, um, civilization is built on the tenets of, of the Ten Commandments. Right. He talked about the Sermon on the Mount as the last word in ethics. And he said, the, the more closely we follow that, uh, the more likely we are to succeed in our endeavors. He was talking about civilizations where you have the freedom. We, at this moment in time, we have the freedom to go out and decide who we want to elect as our representatives. You know, you've got a, a, a presidential election coming up at the moment. You have the freedom to decide. In, in Germany, under Hitler, um, there was no choice. There was no freedom. Once Hitler came to power in 1933, he banned all elections. He banned all political gatherings, except for those um, of, the, of the Nazi party. And so you no longer had the vote. You no longer had the, that freedom. So what Churchill was talking about was, was Christian civilization as the freedom to be able to, to live a, a life of ethic, uh, an ethical life, a life of freedom as opposed to a life as uh, imprisoned, as, right. um, as communist. Tyrannical, as, as, yeah. Dad, yeah. Dad what, back then, what did you, you know, the, the feeling of society back then, like, did you, did you fear what would happen? What did you think would happen if Hitler came and, and overrun Britain? We never thought of that possibility. Really? Never. Never. Wow. That's awesome. You see, Churchill, Churchill. We were all sure that the way the war was going, that Great Britain was going to be winning. Is that because my great-grandfather's words? Is that because when you heard his speeches, he made you feel that way? That is correct. No question about it. He was the most determined man, and we listened to him, and we believed in him. 
Do you know, he, wow. really, he really believed in you. He really believed in, 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 those, in, in the wonderful men and women around Britain, around the world, who were fighting. He always, you know, even at the end of the war, he didn't want any of the accolades that he's been given. You know, he, um, he, uh, you know he's great, gratefully received them, but he really didn't want them. He saw himself, he saw the lion heart as the people of Britain and the nations around, and he merely was honoured to be called upon to be the raw of the lion and to, to sometimes tell the lion where to use its claws. And so, you know, he absolutely, he loved veterans. He loved those soldiers that, that were fighting, people such as yourself. You know, you're the absolute backbone of our countries. You really are amazing. I, I'm in awe and, and completely honoured to, to be on this absolutely. radio show with you today. So bless you. You know, that's yeah. a wonderful segue, actually. Um, Karina, if we if we could play uh, Jeff's song, Snowball Express, because this song is really an honor to those veterans and it's it's brilliant. Let's let's hear it, please. song thank you thank you we play it live at every show and uh, honor the vets talk about and, and i talk about not only the vets but the families that are that are that sacrificed and are left behind you know because we and, we kind of tend to it's easy to forget the families too and that's what snowball express is about right it's a charity for the families of um the wives and the children of, of vets who were killed overseas is that yes yeah, it's uh, it's it started during the Iraq conflict, and it was, the idea was to honor uh, the Gold Star families, the, the families that have lost a loved one in military service. Most of them were in the Iraq conflict and in Afghanistan as well. And then they uh, uh, bring them; they bring two thousand of them every year for a four-day, all-expense-paid vacation and fun and activities and. 
And, I, you know, I've even watched some of the kids go from grow from five years to now they're 15, 15 years old, 10 years that's happened now. Wow. So. I'm just going to bring Steve Shortly on. He's with us. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Uh, good. Yourself? I'm good. And I want everyone to stick around because we've got some great conversation coming up as well. Stephen, you, wrote a, you, you suffered a stroke. You wrote a book called Enemy in the Heartland. It is probably one of the most complicated books as far as characters. You've got so many characters in this book. I don't know how you did it. Did this stroke improve your brain power? Well, I wish it. I could say so, but uh, I think I'm probably back about 95% of what I was before. So, But I'm married to a psychologist. Her name is Joy, and she said, you know, to recover from the stroke, why don't you start writing those books you got in the head? So that's how the book took form. Why don't you tell us all the premise of your book? Well, the premise of the book is a bunch of college kids met over in England many, many years ago, 13 years ago, and, and some were from the Middle East and some were from uh, Europe, and some came from a wealthy family, and between uh, uh, meeting in classes and everything, they decided that they were going to do a jihad against the uh, United States, and after 13 years of planning and with a lot of resources, uh, they attacked the United States where you least expected. Instead of hitting uh, New York or L.A. or Florida or somewhere, they went into the heartland, you know, the central United States with their drones and poison gas. Wow. You, St. Louis was, was where they were going to go. You know what? That's where I went to university. <laughs> but you, you bring in the Mossad, you bring in the CIA, the FBI, you bring in all these agencies. Like, what do you know about them? Uh, what I see on TV. Uh, yeah, what I wanted to do was, when I was recovering from the stroke, I kept seeing all these images of drones and, and you know stuff going on in the Middle East. So I figured, well, why don't you write a book that you didn't have to explain what's really going on? You just interpret it. Interesting. Wow. Sounds like an episode of Homeland. That. Yeah, it is. It's like it's like Homeland. Yeah. Well, that, what got a lot of people going was, you know, they're going, well, I want to be in the book, or, you know, can I be in the book? And I would say, you want to be good guys and bad guys. So I should have stopped asking a lot of people, because that's where all the characters came into. Well, it, it's pretty amazing book, and we're going to talk just a little bit about some of the, the um, themes that are in that book, because I think they're really important, but we're going to break, so stay, stay close, please, stay tuned. We're coming right back. No, we're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Girasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward. With tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned, these pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central, on toginet.com. 
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Weight Watchers says that many things can distract you from working out. Recognizing these danger zones and avoiding them is crucial to losing weight. Be it your favorite TV show, a family phone call that can go on for an infinite amount of time, or a neighbor or friend popping in for an impromptu chat, there are definitely obstacles that can throw off your exercise attempts. One way to put all these interruptions at bay is to exercise first thing in the morning before you start your day. If you make exercise your first priority and your earliest act of the day, you can bypass many of these danger zones. But if working out early is not an option for you, finding a time each day that does work and sticking to it is also a good plan. Shun the danger zones and see your exercise and weight loss succeed. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. We're back. We're back talking to Steve shortly about his book, Enemy in the Heartland, Jonathan Sands and his book, God and Churchill. Jeff is here and Bert is here. And here I am, Frankie, your host. One of the themes that um, in, in the book, of course, is the idea that, you know, the Muslim and the jihad. But what I did like about your book, um, Stephen, was that you were temperate in that there are some fundamentalists and there are some, you know, people... Uh, who are of the Muslim faith that are good people. They're just like us. They're like everybody else. You know, they're not out to hurt anybody. In fact, they really don't want anything other than peace. And, and I, I appreciated that, that we didn't have a big target on somebody's back. Well, the underlying factor that a lot of people were amazed at was there was a uh, German family that owned a munitions company during World War II and, uh, you know, they weren't real happy how the uh, Allies treated them after the war, so they were the financiers for the attack on the United States. So, you know, there's lots of reasons for people getting angry that want to attack other people, and it's just not religion. It's finances, too. Right. And, Jonathan, I know that we read a lot about, um, you know, Churchill had something to say about people of the Muslim faith. Can you express that for us? Yeah, I mean, he he was very, very clear, uh, in, actually, in his book, The River War, and he's often misquoted um, when he's talking, he's referring to fanatical Muslims. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's talking about, you know, how Islam is, is a, a faith that, you know, if it's taken anything fanatical is, is a very, very, very dangerous. But he separated, deliberately separated, and this is where people take the quote apart and they, they don't bother with it. He mm-hmm. separated fanatics mm-hmm. from, or fanatical Muslims from the decent Muslims who, you know, they practice their faith but they're not fanatics in any shape or form. And, and some, of, you know, some of them, he said, he, um, they even fight for the, um, uh, in the British Army and everything. So perfectly decent people. Right. And he's often taken out of context when it, when it comes to that. And um, people say that he hated Muslims. But, you know, as, uh, you know, that's not the case. And it was also, you know, if you look at his speeches during the Second World War, you'll see that he separates the Nazis from the German people. Right. That was his view. He, he's quite happy to blame a group of people that have, you know, that, that deserve to be blamed. But under no circumstances is he, is he going to write off an entire faith or an entire group of people, um, you know, without, um, without some serious justification. So, you know, it's... We, we have to recognize there are fanatics and there are 
there are good Muslims. And right. it's not, they are Absolutely. not the same. Yeah. You know, Dad, you were going to say something off air before we started. I, I cut you off. I wanted you to say it on air. <laughs> well, I, I was simply confirming that Mr. Churchill had analyzed the Muslims many, many years before I got to England. Mm-hmm. And his feeling was that there was no way to dealing with those people because rationality didn't fit into their lifestyle. Fanatical Muslim. Fundamentalist. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's still that way today with any fundamentalist group, really, who are fanatics. It's very difficult to deal. But I, I like that distinction that he had that, you know, he wasn't going to write Germans off, the German people. In fact, he, you know, instrumental in, in bringing the country, all the countries back together because he wasn't blaming everybody. You know, he blamed who needed to be blamed and, and the rest, you know, everybody else. We got to get on with this idea of getting on and getting on. So when Jonathan said that, Dad, when he said, you know, right after the war, the people picked up and they got on. I mean, you're very much like that. You know, you, you, you don't look behind you, you keep going. I believe that the, the generation the post-war generation, had nowhere to turn but to themselves and to effectively go out and make it happen. Whereas in today's world, we have so many people sitting back waiting for the handout. Mm-hmm. Or the job wasn't good enough or it doesn't pay enough. We didn't have any of those thoughts whatsoever after the, after the war or during the war. We had rationing. We didn't have food. In, in the amount that people were accustomed to. We had, in, in Great Britain, we didn't see a banana or an orange for years. Wow. Well, and I know that there are people who, sorry, Joe, I just know that people who okay. keep plastic and, and paper today who were from, you know, that war era just because they're so used to rationing. We take things yeah. for granted. These these days we do, and, and you know I'm 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 saying we, including myself. Right, you know, right. We we take things for granted. I mean, we, I'm talking to you on a cell phone. I mean, that's something a concept that that you know didn't exist uh, in, in in from from this point of view in in those days. And it was, it's it's incredible. I take it for granted that I can communicate with you. Mm-hmm. I take it for granted that people can email me and and things like that. But you know, it's amazing when I take people around the cabinet war rooms. Um, in, in, in London, it's one of the first things that people notice. There's no computers. There's a bank of telephones. And that was how great-grandpapa masterminded the victory of the Second World War. It was, it was a bank of telephones. Yeah. Amazing. How on earth yeah. would we fight a, war, a world war today? How on earth would we fight it without a computer? I mean, it's just, (laughs) I I really love to see what we would actually do if if just literally just for 24 hours, what would happen if no technology worked, if we had to go back to to the days of of the war, what would actually, how would the world cope just for 24 hours? How would we I don't think it would cope very well. I don't either. I, there was a radio DJ this morning who gave everybody a, you know, stay off Facebook for five days. See if you can do it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, how, do you, how do you achieve that? I mean, you know, in those days, I was saying to somebody else, I was saying to somebody yesterday, you know, with emails, people right. expect an instant response. You know, just because you can get it instantly, okay, it goes up to yeah. space and it comes into my computer immediately. You expect an mm. instant response from me. Forget the fact that 
that I might actually have a life. I'm not sitting there watching for your email to come through. In the olden days, you had to write a letter or you right. had to pay incredibly expensively for somebody to actually deliver a telegram or to deliver something immediately to, to, I love, to the next. I person. love hearing this stuff. I, I'll, Jonathan, I'll get people on my airplane and they're all mad that we're 20 minutes late. They're all upset. You're like, really? <laughs> we're gonna hurt, I'm going to hurdle you through the sky at 600 miles an hour. I'm going <laughs> to take you across. I'm going I'm to comfortably, by the way, and you get to be on the Internet. And I'm going to take you uh, in five hours what would have taken you months. And you're, you're upset that it's 20 minutes late. I don't get that. <laughs> you know, so. Well, let me yeah, say. I, I, don't, I don't understand why, um, why anyone on a Southwest plane complains that it's late. I mean, I've flown Southwest so many times, and I love Southwest. You guys are so entertaining. You know, I Thank mean, you, you. Make, you make it quite pleasurable. I don't care if you're 20 minutes late. I don't care if you're an hour late. As long as I'm on that flight with someone from Southwest, I know that I'm going to be happy. Jeff will well, even I entertain you by guitar before you get on the plane. You know, he's the pilot, but man, he'll come out and play guitar for you. So oh <laughs> yeah, I love I love entertaining my passengers. It's fun. Not so, so much. I saying that I I flew back last night from New York City and I just rode in the back, but I got up and I sang the national anthem. I we had about oh, ten uh, veterans on board. It was really fun. So I love doing Thank that. You. Thank you. Do you Thank mind you. if I just do you mind if I just say um, with regards to Southwest, I, I took a flight um, actually to and from Albany a couple of weeks ago, and there was a big problem on coming back from all the computer systems went down. And um, two days later, I offered to basically stay off the flight if there were people who needed to get on it. Two days later, I received a handwritten card from uh, from this lady at Southwest who said, thank you so much for being so understanding and so kind. This was handwritten, and she included mm -hmm. a, lug a Southwest luggage tag. And, oh, you know, I'm, I'm meaning to phone Southwest head office. They are amazing, really amazing. Sorry, I, I just wanted to I just say that. I love the customer service. That's like one of my pet peeves. But I just wanted to say, Dad, you know, my father's 90 years old, and he has gone from, you know, zero to hero, really. You know, he has an iPad. He has an iPhone. He is okay. connected. He's connected. He's using And Skype I love today. hearing him talk. I love his voice. <laughs> yeah. So, Dad, you know, what you, what's it like for you? Can you go a day without your cell phone and your computer? Can I do what? Can you go without your computer and your cell phone and your iPad for not a anymore? Days? No, <laughs> not anymore. It seems that you know every time something new came out, I said it's the last thing I'm going to learn. But every time new ones come out, I, I keep gravitating to them. I need them. I want them. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's you know, it's amazing, Bert. As I tell people all the time, and even my kids, that we have we have more computer power in our hands than the lunar lander had. And, and yet our children, we, spend, we, we have more grasp of knowledge instantly than ever in world history. And yet we spend most of our time on it, taking pictures of ourselves and putting it on Twitter or Facebook. It's kind of funny, actually. You know what I think yes, You're absolutely right. I remember 20, 30 years ago, our computers were no more capable than our little iPhone is today. <laughs> and look at the difference in cost. From yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars down to to a hundred dollars, three hundred dollars. Stephen, you yeah. wanted to say something. Yeah. Well, after this interview, I'm going to go out to the racetrack here at Phoenix NASCARs in town this week, and I'm a NASCAR nut, probably a redneck too. But my wife is from South Africa, and a bunch of her friends love car racing. So last time I went out there, and then 
tomorrow morning, bright and early, I'm going to be standing on top of my trailer using my Skype app on my phone, showing them the racetrack and talking to them, broadcasting free halfway around the world. I mean, that's just crazy. It is. You know, my dad's in Mexico. He lives in Mexico. And, you know, we can Skype face to face. We did the other day, which is fantastic it's amazing our technology and how and what it's done for us so I, I do need to ask Jonathan though because we're coming up to the near the end of the show very quickly um, Jonathan you said that, that you know we all need to come together so that we keep this world going and so in, in very short words what do you think what can we do as individuals what can we do to keep this peace and, and, and to you know Get your great-grandfather's legacy to live on. Start working together. Stop, stop being selfish. Stop thinking of ourselves and start thinking of other people, how we can help other people. You know, let's make friends and let's stop trying to make enemies. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. A servant's heart. Yes, yep. a servant heart. Churchill is the greatest uh, modern-day example of a servant leader. And, you know, we all can lead like Churchill with courage, with faith, with integrity. You know, you don't have to be Winston Churchill leading a country through a war. Okay, you can be Winston Churchill in your home. You can be Winston Churchill in your business. You can be Winston Churchill wherever you go. It's how you treat someone. It's how you see someone. Stop looking at people as as less than what they are. We are human beings. We are all equal. Yes, okay, fine. You know, some of us are are business executives and some of us are authors and some of us are radio presenters, whatever. It doesn't matter what we do. That doesn't define us. We are human beings. And at the end of the day, I bleed just the same as you do. And if you're lying at the side of the road, I'm going to help you because you're a human I gotta being. i got to say goodbye. i, mean- I got to say goodbye. But what a way to go out. Jonathan, you're right. We're all human beings and we have to love one another. Frankie Picasso, signing out for Frankie Sense and More. Thank you so much for being my guest today, everybody. She know you, she the one way to turn the world